verses 1 through 3. Let me invite you as you're able, let's stand together in honor of the reading and hearing of God's Word. Again, I'm reading from the book of Philemon, chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3, in which the Apostle Paul uh, wrote the following. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless today the reading and the hearing of his word in this place. And let's join together in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we once again have the opportunity to read and to meditate upon thy word, uh, we ask, O God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we would be able to receive this teaching and gain from it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to begin a short expositional series through the epistle of Paul to Philemon. This is the shortest a work in the body of Paul's writings in the New Testament. And we think about the Apostle Paul, such an important figure in early Christianity. We have nine letters that he wrote to the churches, uh, beginning with the book of, of Romans. Then we have four letters that he wrote to individuals, uh, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then this book we're looking at, Philemon. And then we've got one Work that although the heading of it in the authorized version is the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Hebrews, it's really seen by many as a sermon, a treatise. It's called in the last chapter uh, an exhortation, a word of exhortation. So we've got this collection of things that Paul wrote. Again, letters to churches, letters to an individual, at least one sermon or maybe a, an, a word of exhortation. And uh, Philemon is, again, the, the, the shortest of these letters. It's a personal letter written to this man. Uh, but it's also addressing others, as we see here in the opening to it within this church where Philemon served. And we'll see later as we work through the letter that this church was perhaps the church at Colossae. Because if you compare the book of Colossians and you compare this letter you find that some of the same people are mentioned. And so many believe that, uh, that perhaps Philemon was the, the elder, the leading elder at the, the church at Colossae. Um, still, though, it's a personal letter because it deals with a personal matter. Namely, it deals with an unusual case where there was a man whose name was Onesimus. And that very name means useful. And it was a very common name for those who were enslaved, for, for those who were servants. And this man Onesimus apparently had been the servant or the slave of Philemon. And he had run away from his master, which was uh, something that happened a lot in the first century world. And somehow uh, in his travels, he had met the Apostle Paul. And through the Apostle Paul, uh, Onesimus had come, had come to faith. He had come to be a believer. He was converted. And now uh, Paul is sending him back 
uh, to his master, to Philemon, with this letter. And he's seeking by this letter to bring about reconciliation between these two men. Uh, Now that especially that Onesimus has come to be not just a servant, but also a brother. And so if you look at verse 10, it says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. And so this gives us basically the theme of this letter. And then when he talks to Philemon about receiving him back, look at verse 16. He asked him to receive him not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so um, uh, this uh, letter has this this purpose to bring about reconciliation. And again, we're going to work through it a little more slowly. Today, we're just going to look at the opening uh, verses, which kind of lays out who's sending the letter and who's receiving the letter. And then the basic greeting that appears within the letter. And so it begins uh, in verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And of the, the, the letters that we have of Paul, the nine letters to churches and the four letters to individuals, the, the first word in all these letters is the name of the sender, Paul. And of course, this Paul was Paul of Tarsus. Uh, Paul, a, a zealous Jew, a man who had been a, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, a persecutor of the church, who had been born in Tarsus of Cilicia in Asia Minor, a man uh, who knew the Hebrew scriptures, uh, who says that in his younger years he had learned the scriptures at the feet of Gamaliel, but who had also been raised uh, in the Greek-speaking world and was being raised up as a special instrument in God's hands, a unique person, bilingual, bicultural, uh, able to speak relevantly of the gospel of Christ to his fellow Jews and also to Gentiles. And so he is the one uh, who is uh, writing this letter. And of course, as I said, before he came to the faith, he had become a, he had been a persecutor of the church and We can read in the book of Acts of that when it describes Stephen, the first Christian martyr. We're told that when Stephen was stoned to death, that there was a young man there named Saul who was holding the clothing of those who stoned uh, Stephen to death. And uh, we learn then in in Acts chapter 9 how he was breathing out threats against the church and and how he had gained... uh, written permissions to go to to Damascus and to arrest uh, those who were the followers of the way, both men and women, and to drag them off to prison. But of course, in Acts 9, as he was on the way, uh, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he had been led by the hand, blinded, into Damascus and there the Holy Spirit had also directed that Ananias, a brother, probably the elder in the church at Damascus, would come to him. And Ananias didn't want to go. He said, Lord, this is a man who's arresting Christians. You're sending me to to speak with him. And but he went on faith 
And Luke records that the first words that he said to Paul were, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, recognizing that there had been a change that was taking place in his life. And this man who had been an ardent opponent of the faith uh, became an ardent follower of Christ and one of the most useful heralds uh, of the gospel. Um, Paul would later write in the book of Galatians that he had received his calling to be an apostle, not from men, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And here, in beginning this letter that addresses a very sensitive personal issue, uh, he describes himself as Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And this term, uh, him being a prisoner of Jesus Christ, has a dual meaning in this context. First of all, it has a natural meaning, indicating that Paul was literally imprisoned at the time he wrote this letter. And in some editions of the King James Version, uh, there'll be a little postscript at the end of the letter. And the edition I have here from Cambridge has this. It says, written from Rome to Philemon by Onesimus, a servant. Uh, that's not part of the inspired text, but the, the, the translators, editors included it there, giving their best um, uh, uh, information that this was written from Rome while Paul was imprisoned, most likely, and that Onesimus, the one about whom the letter was written and the one who was the bearer of the letter, bringing it back, that he had probably been the scribe who had, who had written down the words of Paul. So uh, we know that Saul, uh, who became Paul, was imprisoned for his preaching of the gospel a number of times. Uh, in the book of Acts, we read about how in Acts 16, that he and Silas were imprisoned in Philippi after the casting out of the demon, of the demon-possessed girl, and remember, they sang hymns until midnight, until they were miraculously delivered. And then when he was arrested in Jerusalem, his last trip there, uh, you'll remember that he was imprisoned, as it says in Acts 24, 27, for two years in Caesarea. And then he appealed to Caesar. And we read of that in Acts 25, 11, And he was sent guarded by a centurion named Julius. He was sent to Rome and, and there uh, he was imprisoned awaiting trial before uh, the, the emperor. And if you look at the very last two verses of the book of Acts, we read there of what Paul was doing in Rome. Look at Acts 28 verses 30 and 31. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And so two years he was in Caesarea, two years in Rome, and we're really unsure what happened. Some believe he was put to death at that point. Others believe he was released and was able to travel a bit further, maybe was able uh, to even reach Spain where he had wanted to go. He mentioned that uh, in his epistle to the Romans. Aside from the 
two-year imprisonment in Caesarea, the two years in Rome. We know that he likely suffered other imprisonments that aren't recorded in the New Testament. And we get some hint of this in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is writing against uh, false teachers and uh, pseudo-apostles. And he sort of lays out what we could call his bona fides in the faith and how he has suffered as an apostle. And he makes mention within this of having suffered, endured frequent imprisonments. And so you can look at 2 Corinthians 11 and uh, verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews, meaning his opponents? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And then he says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. This is the line that's important. In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. And he continues to list some of the other things that he has suffered, including in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians 11. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Probably meaning that a large heavy stone was dropped upon him uh, to take his life. Or perhaps even that people took up stones as they did with Stephen to, to put him to death. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. But again, what stands out for our context here is he says in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11, in prisons more frequent. And so uh, Paul was often imprisoned. Uh, Whether Paul, though, was in chains or or whether uh, he was free, um, he was not hindered from conducting his ministry. And so we take it that he was imprisoned when he wrote this letter on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon. And there are other letters that Paul also also wrote while he was in prison. In fact, we sometimes refer to a grouping of his letters as his prison epistles. And they include the books of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So if you just look over briefly, we'll just survey just, just briefly a little of this. If you look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3 and verse 1, it says... For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Likewise, in Ephesians 4.1, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And then if you look over in the book of Philippians, you see in Philippians 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul writes, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. 
And so Paul was in prison when he wrote to the Philippians. And he talks here maybe of even having some influence in the perhaps in the palace among those in leadership and the government. And then look at Colossians and look at the fourth chapter, Colossians chapter four. And look there at verse three um, at our verse. Yeah, at verse three he says what with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. And so Paul was in bonds in chains as he wrote the epistle to the Colossians in verse 18. He writes of Colossians 4, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. So I read that to say that Paul was not just using this term metaphorically, but he was often imprisoned for the gospel. I remember hearing someone say once that the church was stronger in the first century when its ministers spent more time in prison cells than they did in television studios. And they were talking about the televangelists uh, who spent their time in television studios, whereas the Apostle Paul uh, spent his time in prison. Of course, there uh, there have been men over the years who have also been imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel. Um, Think about William Tyndale, who was seized and thrown into prison. And even while he was there awaiting what would eventually be his death. The only thing he requested was that he be given a Hebrew Bible so that he could continue his translation of the Old Testament. And there, of course, there have been men imprisoned up in, into and including our own day. And we've had, for example, Pobun Singh of Malaysia preach here who spent nearly a year imprisoned uh, in Kuala Lumpur because of the charge of evangelizing uh, the Malay population there. But in addition to this description of Paul as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, having a natural, ordinary meaning, it also describes something else. And there's a spiritual meaning to it, isn't there? Because Paul is describing himself when he says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's describing himself as someone who has been taken captive by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that because he's a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, he no longer does his own bidding, but only the bidding of Christ. And he writes in places like Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so uh, Paul was someone who said, I'm not living any longer. Christ is living in me. And I am bound over. I am held in the chains of Christ to do what is fitting for Christ. You might remember, I think we, we looked at this not too long ago in Acts when Paul was a prisoner there and he had to stand before the Roman governor Festus and before the Jewish king Agrippa and uh, Agrippa's sister Bernice and he had to give a defense of himself. You might remember that he said in Acts twenty six twenty nine, I would to God that not only thou but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am 
accept these bonds. Here's the prisoner saying, I feel sorry for you kings and people in high places. I wish you could be like I am, except for these chains. Paul was a free man in Christ. A free man in Christ. No matter his outward circumstances. You may have a disability. You may have a physical disability. But you're an able man in Christ. Uh, You may have to be sometimes uh, imprisoned for the gospel. It could happen. If that should happen to a Christian, he's still a free man in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul uses this term to describe himself, I think, both literally and, of course, it also has a figurative sense. You'll notice also in verse 1 that he mentions Timothy. And so this is one of those letters where Paul sometimes has co-authors. First Corinthians, he lists Sosthenes as a co-author. Here he lists Timothy. And he, he calls Timothy uh, our brother. And, of course, Timothy was a young man who was an associate of the Apostle Paul. We have a description of how Paul took uh, Timothy under his wing in Acts chapter 16 in verses 1 and following, where it says, Then came he, that is Paul, to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed. But his father was a Greek. And so Timothy had a Jewish mother. He had a Greek father. And it was said of him in verse 2, of Acts 16, that he was well reported by the brethren. And then in verse 3, it says, Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And so uh, Paul actually uh, had uh, Timothy circumcised, not because he believed there was salvation in circumcision. All you have to do is read the book of Galatians to know that but because he did not want to hinder the acceptance of Timothy uh, by his fellow Jews. And this reflects Paul's missionary spirit set out in 1 Corinthians 9, that to the Jews he became a Jew, to the Greeks he became like a Greek, so that by all means he might win some. And Timothy also became like a spiritual son to Paul. And we're going to see he's, he's like he's a father, he's a spiritual father to Onesimus. And he was one of those kind of men who took younger men under his arms. And all of us who are men here today, uh, we would like to see the the point in our lives where it might be said of us that we take younger men uh, under under our arms and they become our spiritual sons. And so uh, Paul writes two letters to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 1-2, he says, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And likewise, in uh, 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. And so uh, he's, he's writing this letter to Philemon. And I think it's significant that he thinks it's important that he add a, a fellow Christian, a fellow elder, as one of the writers. And it reminds us of Paul's a fellowship in the gospel with others. The person to whom he writes then is, is identified there in verse 1 and 2. Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. And the term 
that he uses here are important. First of all, he calls Philemon his the dearly beloved one. And he's beloved of God, but also beloved of Paul. And he also calls him a fellow laborer. The Greek word is synergos. We get the word synergy from that. No, we don't believe that there is synergy in salvation. We believe salvation is is monergy or monergistic. But we do believe there is synergy in ministry. Uh, Salvation is not synergistic, but ministry is synergistic. And we would probably say by modern using modern terms that Paul was a networker. Paul was not a prima donna in the ministry, but he worked alongside of others. And all throughout his letters, all throughout the book of Acts, there's constant mention of all the people who worked with Paul. Whether it was Barnabas, whether it was Silas, whether it was Luke, whether it's Timothy, Titus, and scores of others, Aristarchus, Secundus, uh, men about which we know very little except their mention in association with laboring alongside of the Apostle Paul. And it's not only written to Philemon, about whom he's got this very personal matter, but he includes also others in the church where Philemon is, perhaps the church of the Colossians. He says in verse 2, and to our beloved Aphia, that's a, that's a feminine name. And perhaps this woman was the wife of Philemon. If, if not, maybe she was simply a leading Christian who was well respected in the church. And this is one of those places where we have an insight into the value of women within churches. No, we don't believe that women are set apart to offices in the church. But there's, there's great respect given to godly women among the early Christians. You can think of someone like Phoebe mentioned in Romans 16 who's carrying the letter that is going to the church at Rome. Or, or we could think of the mention in, in the book of Philippians of two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who apparently were valuable servants in the church there. Or we can think about uh, Lydia of Thyatira, who was one of the cornerstones of the church in Philippi. And so uh, perhaps she was a godly woman and he wanted to include her so that she would know about this, this contentious matter, perhaps, and maybe would be there to help in dealing with. Again, she may have been the wife of Philemon. And then he mentions also another man in verse 2, Archippus. He calls him our fellow soldier. So he had a, a fellow worker in Philemon. Here he uses another image, and it's a common one that he uses in his writings Someone who is a fellow soldier. It means a co-belligerent in the gospel. Not someone who's going to take up a physical sword and fight with him, but someone who's going to labor with him in the struggle that is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers, because ministry is spiritual warfare. And we're opposed by we're opposed by the devil and his agents. And uh, we're on the side of light and truth. And we're doing spiritual battle over the souls of men. Ministry is spiritual warfare. And there's a mention there uh, of the church in thy house. Apparently the church, wherever this was, perhaps the church of the Colossians, was meeting in the home of Philemon, or perhaps it was the home of Philemon and Aphia. And so 
we get some insight into this. There had to be had to be a house that would be large enough where people could meet. If, if Philemon and Aphia are, are husband and wife, maybe they were a ministry team, much like Aquila and Priscilla, uh, whom Paul greets in Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, when he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto, un, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And so uh, Aquila and Priscilla had opened their home up, had a church meeting there in Rome, and perhaps something similar was happening here. Sometimes, though, people read passages like this in our day. Uh, sometimes people who uh, are con- good conservative Christians and they say, we ought to have house churches. Every church ought to meet in a house. And uh, that would be a mistake because if you read through the Bible, you find that the early Christians met in different locations. They met in the temple in Jerusalem. In the book of Acts in chapter 19, verse 9, it says that the church in Ephesus met, met in a rented uh, school lecture hall, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And so there's no mandate for us to meet in houses. It just tells us that some of these early churches, they needed a place to meet. And if you had, a, you had someone in your church who had a, a, a large enough, commodious enough house, then you could meet within the house and they met where they were able to meet. And so there's nothing wrong with us having a meeting house, for example, to meet in, as long as we have the right attitude about it and don't think that it's necessarily just a holy place just because it's a place where we have our meetings. It's made holy when we meet as God's people, as the saints of God. That's the only thing that makes it holy when God sets us apart and then gathers us together in worship. And then finally... Paul offers this greeting. It's very common in all of his letters. And he commends two things. Grace. This was a wordplay, by the way. In ancient letters, they used the word karain, which means greeting. And here, as a Christian letter, he has a little wordplay. Instead of saying karain, he says karis. Grace to you and peace. The peace of God. When we're justified by faith, we have peace with God. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've commenced looking at this letter. We're going to continue it, God willing, in weeks to come and look at it piece by piece. As we come to the end of this little section, uh, there are some lessons that we can gain. There's some questions we can ask ourselves. Maybe one of the things we learn from this is if you have to deal with a controversial or a sensitive matter with a Christian brother or sister... Maybe it's helpful in the beginning to remind yourselves of the bonds you have in Christ. Notice what Paul is doing. He knows he's got to bring something sensitive to the table. But he starts off by saying, you're my dearly beloved. You have been my fellow laborer in the gospel. And he also brings other people into the conversation, brings Timothy into the conversation, brings Aphia, Archippus into the conversation. So maybe there are some lessons that we could learn. I think above all, though, we could meditate upon the metaphor here of Paul being a prisoner. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And one of the questions we might walk away from this passage, we might walk away asking ourselves, who owns and controls me? 
Who guides the way I live? Who guides the way I use my time? Who guides the way I spend my money? Who guides what I value as a priority in life? Am I a prisoner of the world? Am I a prisoner of some secular guru or some YouTube figure or some social media influencer or some athlete or some hobby? What am I guided by? What am I captivated by? And of course, for those of us who are Christians, uh, we should be those who are prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are captivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's related to another term Paul sometimes used when he calls himself a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ. And so if anything, we can walk away today saying, Lord, I would, be, I, would, I would be by your grace more bound over to Christ, even more today than I have been in the past. Oh God, help me to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me invite you to stand together. Let's join in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we do give thee thanks for this opportunity again to gather in thy name, to read thy word. And as we come and draw nigh down to the table, we ask that you would prepare our hearts for taking of the bread and the cup uh, in obedience to Christ's command that we do this in remembrance of him. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.